0: We continue our study of Second Peter. And our text for this morning is chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Peter writes this, For he received from God the Father honor and glory, which then came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. Peter began this second epistle by introducing seven basic mechanics or principles that when we apply those to our lives will cause us as believers to become partners in the divine nature. God created us with a body, with a soul, and with a spirit. I should say He created man with a body and a soul and a spirit. But as a result of Adam's sin, he died spiritually, and we were born birth defective. We only have a body and a soul in our physical birth. The body is the tabernacle, that is the temporary dwelling where the soul lives. The human soul is that being that lives in the body that has a capacity for understanding and relating to human phenomena or human things, human experience. The human spirit of man is the capacity to understand and relate to spiritual phenomena. The things that relate to spiritual truths is understood and identified by the human spirit. As a result of Adam's sin, then he died spiritually the day he ate of the forbidden fruit and ultimately died physically. 930 years after he was created. But the day he ate of the forbidden fruit, he died spiritually. And so we are born with a body and a soul, but in order to understand and relate to God and put on that nature, we need to be born again, actually born from above. he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, You must be born again. That term, born again, is translated from the Greek, and it means literally born from above. Man was originally created in the image of God then, Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 27 gives us a record of that. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. But Adam died spiritually when he ate of the forbidden fruit. God's statement to Adam in Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 is recorded. The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. The literal reading of that is dying in the day thou eatest, dying instantly, thou shalt die in the future. We miss the understanding of that if we fail to see there are two deaths that are pronounced as a result of Adam's sin. Spiritual death that occurred the day he ate of the forbidden fruit and physical death which occurs at the end of our physical life. As a result of Adam's spiritual death, then, in order for us to be able to relate to God, who is spirit, we must be born again. We must be born from above. As a result of this spiritual birth, we then have authority over our own nature and can develop self-control and can become partners of a divine nature which is the focus of Peter's second epistle as a result of Adam's spiritual death we must be born from above our text in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses 17 and 18 begins with the word for and that takes us back to our previous study in verse 16 in which Peter says for we did not make it a principle to follow out as our objective clearly worked out applicational principles that were based on fabrications as opposed to truth when we made known to you the natural inherent parousia of our Lord of us Jesus Christ but as a matter of principle were made eyewitnesses of greatness and dignity of that one in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. These seven principles that Peter is teaching us in this epistle are as follows. We are to develop in the sphere of faith, in the promises of God, a Yieldness to God that provides for us a morality that will give credibility to our lifestyle. Within that lifestyle, wherein we have developed a yieldness to the Spirit so that we are in fact uh, controlled by the Spirit. We are... To develop a process for studying the Word of God. For reading and understanding and then applying the Word of God to our life. It's within that sphere of studying and understanding the Word that we are to develop self-control. And within that sphere of self-controlled will, we are to develop a contentment that's not based on our circumstances, but a contentment that's in spite of our circumstances. And then within that contentment, we can develop a consistency of duty that does that which is pleasing to God. And within that sphere, we are able to develop a responsive love. And within that responsive love, we are able to move on to a deeper self-sacrificial love. Those are the principles that will help us as we seek to identify with the divine nature. By applying, applying these principles, we are able then to reflect that inner being in that new birth, that spirit life that we have. We're able to reflect that properly to the world around us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 15 and 17 tells us about a transformation that is going to occur in the future. 1 Thessalonians four fifteen, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord. We are going to experience at that point a dramatic transformation. Where this mortal puts on immortality, and where this corruptible puts on incorruption, and we will magnify then that spirit life that we are to be working on until that point. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter had answered for the disciples, he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Six days following that statement, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him to a high mountain, and there he was transfigured before them. Transfigured. That word is from the Greek word metamorphosthe, which means that which is on the inside becomes visible on the outside. Jesus was, in fact, God incarnate in flesh. The Scripture had indicated that God would send one, and they would call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He had revealed himself to the disciples to an extent that Peter was willing to proclaim thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But six days later, he saw the reality of that when there was a an experience that occurred on that high mountain with Peter, James, and John, and the Lord when there was a visitation by two who had preceded them by some many years, Moses and Elijah appeared. On the mountain. And the deity that was in that body called Jesus became visible on the outside. The disciples saw a transformation that occurred, a metamorphosis thing, if you will, that occurred. And in that, the deity of God became visible to the disciples gathered with him there peter james and john on that mount of transfiguration in our text second peter chapter 1 verse 17 and 18 peter explains then the significance of what he and james and john were able to witness on that mountain and he attempts to help us understand then how we while we're living here on the earth, can become partners in that divine nature. In verse 17 he says, For he received from God, speaking of Christ, Peter says, Christ received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter literally says, because he received from God the Father honor and glory. From God the Father was given to the Lord Jesus Christ honor. That word honor in the original text he means with an emphasis upon value. It stresses the value that is there. This honor being recognized as having value then is due to Jesus revealing the deity that he had, the qualities of his divine nature in a manifest appearance on the mountain that day. And not only this honor with an emphasis upon value, but Praise resulting from the manifestation of a good character. That praise became audible as the Father addresses that, as that Godlikeness becomes visible in the body of Jesus Christ on that Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter said, When there came such a voice, such a voice the voice of God that addresses this concerning the Son in which He said, in whom I am well pleased. To Him this voice came. To Christ this voice came. And notice in reference to the voice It is spoken, this voice came to him from the excellent glory. Literally, the word excellent is the word uh, majestic. And the word glory, doxus refers to praise that comes as a result of the manifestation of a good character. God the Father pronounces uh, in his majestic glory honor to his son by declaring this is my beloved son. The Greek text actually says the son of me, the beloved of me, this one keeps on being. There's a bit of confusion in our human thinking as it relates sometimes to the circumstances that He was both God and man and uh, yet He addresses the Father and the Father addresses Him as Son. But the only reason this, uh, this visible presentation of God is ever addressed as Son is because of the physical birth that was required in order that God might become one of us, in order that He might pay our debt, and conquer our enemy death and the grave, and come victoriously alive again. So the word son simply identifies his role in humanity so that he might pay our debt and conquer our enemy death and the grave. The father, that majestic excellence, proclaims, this is my beloved son. The word beloved is translated from the Greek word agapatas, from which we have the basic word agape, love. It's a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and uh, continues regardless of the response that might be there. Regardless of the response of those who have rejected Jesus Christ, God sent him and he paid the debt in order that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So the father in his majesty proclaims, uh, this is my beloved son, self-sacrificially son, the one of me. The adjective is that is used here describes the kind of love then as being self-sacrificial. Uh, there is a reference or two in the New Testament where God speaks of His love for the Son as being phileo, a responsive love. He loved the response that His Son gave in obedience. But this is the uh, agape, the self-sacrificial love that the Father has for the Son and the the role that He would play in carrying out the paying of our debt and the conquering of death and the grave. And the father didn't say, just simply say, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He said, This is my beloved son in whom I keep on continually being well pleased. He keeps on being pleasing. With his continual yieldness to the Father, not thy will but mine be done, he said in the garden of Gethsemane the night of his betrayal. The statement really should read, the Son of me, the beloved of me, this one keeps on being. And then the Father says, in whom I am well pleased. Literally, in whose action I have repeatedly been well pleased. So verse 17 reads this way, Because he, receiving from God the Father, honor with an emphasis upon value and praise, resulting from the manifestation of a good character, such a voice being sent concerning him from the majestic praise, resulting from the manifestation of a good character. The Son of me, the Beloved of me, this one keeps on being the one in whose actions I am repeatedly well pleased. Oh, that we might hear upon our admission to the kingdom of heaven, well done, thou good and faithful servant, as was given here concerning Christ. In verse 18, then, in Second Peter 1, continues. As Peter says, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. The actual reading of the text, And this the voice we heard out of heaven being sent, we being with Him, speaking of with Christ, in the Holy mountain this voice they recognized as being the father. Certainly he identifies himself as such when he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That puts him in the area of of the role of father. And uh, Peter said, we heard this voice. And we this voice came out of heaven it was sent from heaven and we as a matter of principle were constantly with Christ throughout this whole experience. Without, We were with Jesus through this whole experience. Peter does not make reference at this point to the presence of Moses and Elijah. His emphasis is upon the divine nature of Jesus being visible as He, in His letter to us, focuses upon our need to develop that divine nature. <clears throat> because we are born of the Spirit of God, we are sons of God, joint heirs together with Christ. We now have a capacity to develop an outward manifestation of inwardly who we are. And that's going to be the theme that Peter carries throughout this epistle. But we're going to skip back and look at the writings of Paul uh, along with them so that we might understand uh, the fullness of what Peter is about. He wanted to give us a glimpse of what he and James and John had viewed on the mount that we might get a glimpse as to what we ought to be generating in our lives and what we can generate in our lives if we follow those seven basic mechanics or principles that we are reviewing. Verse 18 said, In this voice we heard, being sent out of heaven, We as a matter of principle constantly being with Him in that holy mount. The transfiguration of Jesus is used here as an example of the transformation that is to take place in your life and my life as we grow up into Christ in our earthly walk until that time, until that moment when Christ comes and In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we are changed. We are to be developing that maturity and reflecting that aspect of partnership in the divine nature that we have capacity for, but will need to apply ourselves to. The transfiguration is the term that identifies... The experience that Peter, James, and John observed on the mountain when Moses and Elijah appeared and the countenance of Jesus was changed to allow his deity to become visible on the outside. That process is called metamorphosis. It's based on the Greek word metamorphosis, and it's translated by the word transformed in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So in Second in Peter, it's translated uh, as transfigured. And now we have a reference here in Romans 12, 1, that Paul wrote, where that same word is translated for us, transformed. The believer, the born-again child of God, is commanded to allow this process of metamorphosis to occur in our earthly lives. This revealing, this manifestation of that partnership that is in common that we share with a divine nature because we have been born of the Spirit of God we are to make visible to others about us. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul said, I beseech, that's the thundering diction of the King James. Paul said, I call you to come alongside of me as believers. And he's making that statement. He says, I call you to come alongside of me therefore, therefore referencing what Paul had laid out in Romans chapters Six through twelve, or six through eleven, as he begins this twelfth chapter to give us the mechanics for it. That we are being called alongside the apostle Paul by the mercies of God. And we are being called to present our bodies as living sacrifices. The statement that you may present is literally that you may repeatedly place at disposal. It's what we call the re- repetitive eras tense. It's not a one-time presentation as in salvation. That's a one-time experience. It's a birth process. But this is a growing, a developing maturity, a, a reflection of the nature of, that we are now to have as sons of God, as children of God, we are to repeatedly, repeatedly place at disposal. And of course, when we talk about repeatedly placing, that would presuppose then that while we make the presentation, there may be a revoking a reneging on our part where we don't continually make that presentation. So repeatedly we are to present our physical bodies at the disposal of God as a constant living sacrificial offering. And notice he said well-pleasing acceptable unto God. It must be in conformity with the design that God has set forth in His Word, the principles that we are looking at, that Peter is identifying, identifying for us, will be the very mechanics by which we are able then to repeatedly place our bodies at the disposal of God, set apart unto God, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. The word reasonable is translated from the word we get logic from logikin in the Greek. It keeps on being our logical service, but the word service is interesting here. It's latrian and it refers to the function of a priest, the work of a priest. We as born again children of God are to provide the priestly function of presenting not a burnt offering or a dead sacrifice, but our living bodies to God daily as a living sacrifice unto Him. That keeps on being our priestly duty. Now the mechanics by which we are able to do that are expressed by Paul, as well as by Peter. And while we are concentrating upon that which Peter sets forth for us in our study of his second epistle, it's important for us to understand where Paul uh, comes alongside of that as well. So verse 1 of Romans 12, Paul said, I command you therefore, through the instrumentality of the mercies from the source of God, that you come alongside of me, placing at disposal your bodies as a constant living sacrificial offering, set apart, well-pleasing to God, which keeps on being your logical priestly service. So Paul calls the Gentiles to come alongside him in his position. He calls us to join him in presenting a living sacrifice of our bodies repeatedly. He indicates that this presentation is logical for the believer priest. Now, it's important for us to recognize that our action is to perform the priestly role of presenting the sacrifice of our living bodies. God takes it from there. We offer Him and present to Him our bodies and He takes it from there. He's already given us the Holy Spirit. He's already given us spiritual gifts through which our performance will come. We just need to make the priestly function of presenting our bodies as a living offering. He continued in verse 2, And be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Be not conformed. Actually, the present tense is used here. And uh, the word is suske it means stop making it your purpose to change your outward appearance to disguise what you are on the inside in order to conform to this world. Stop making it your purpose to change your outward appearance to disguise what you are on the inside. You're a new creature in Christ. You're a child of God. You have eternal life. As a born-again child of God, you're endowed with that dunamis dynamite power. And so Paul says, stop disguising that, that you are on the inside with your behavior and your appearance on the outside. And how do we do that? He said, but be ye transformed. Suske Matizus means that we participate in the action of hiding this new creature that we are in Christ so that others do not see that we're children of God. Stop that. How do we do it? He said, be ye transformed. The word "metamorphose" that be transfigured. Let that which is on the inside, let it become visible on the outside. Well, how do I do that? By the renewing of your mind, he said. The renovation, the the tearing out of the old obsolete way of thinking and response to the world and to the old nature and... Adopt the principles of God. We're dealing with seven of them here. If we can get those down, then there will be a transformation that will occur. People will observe that we have been with Jesus and that we are a practitioner of that divine nature. Stop making it your purpose to change your outward appearance, to disguise what's on the inside in order to conform to the pattern of this age, but constantly make it your purpose to allow that which is on the inside to be visible on the outside by the renovation of your mind. We are going to act and behave according to what we have accepted as the norms or standards for our life. We begin this life with the norms and standards of the world being bombarded with human viewpoint. But as we get into the Word of God and we begin a new relationship with God as children of God, as born-again believers, there is a need to change our thinking, to change our principles, to change our beliefs, and to make them in conformity with what the Word teaches, to adopt the Word of God as the guide and the standard of our life. And as we are exposed to the doctrines that are found in the Word of God, it makes obsolete the old way of thinking and we began to act differently and appear differently to those that are around us as we make it our purpose to allow the Word of God to be, first of all, mixed with faith so that we believe it and then it automatically directs our behavior and our action. He said it is through the renovation of your mind. And as your mind is renovated, that process includes being exposed to God's Word, mixing God's Word with faith and acceptance, and then that channels it into our frame of reference, into our conscience, into our norms or standards, and we act accordingly. If you want to know what you really believe concerning the things that are in the Word of God, examine your behavior. It's one thing to know what it says, it's another thing to accept what it says and let it be a guide and a standard and a norm for you and you are in agreement with that. Then you will, your behavior will change and your appearance will be different. If we do those things, he said, then we are able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The three aspects of God's will. To know the will of God, we must understand the Word of God and to accept that. And then as we embrace the the teachings of the Word of God as norms and standards for ourselves, we're able to know the directive will of God. Not only because there are many thou shalt" and thou shalt not's that guide us clearly, but because of principles that we understand and are able to translate then into doctrine as it relates to these things. The directive will of God. And to understand the permissive will of God. And then to understand the overruling will of God, we must then present our bodies as living sacrifices. And in so doing, we must accept the word of God as the norms and the standards for our behavior and the way we act. And we will see then a new nature will begin to manifest the various aspects of uh, that divine nature. So verse 2 in Romans 12 said, Stop making it your purpose to change your outward appearance to hide what you are on the inside in order to conform to the pattern of this age. But constantly make it your purpose to allow that which is on the inside to be visible on the outside through the means of the renovation of your mind unto the end that you may approve through testing what is that which is good, well-pleasing, and complete in the will of God. So this is a command to stop disguising what we really are on the on the inside. We're children of God. The world needs to be able to see that. There's a process by which they can. So they were instructed then to allow that which is on the inside to be brought to the outside. These are believers that have been born again and they have a human spirit and they've been exposed to doctrine. So this accomplishment requires a renovated mind which is preceded by the presentation of our bodies as living sacrifices. The result then is an outward approval that is accomplished through testing of that which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. There's some principles from Mount Horeb where the law was given and the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus' deity became visible to Peter, James, and John. Matthew writes this, After six days, Jesus taketh Peter and John, his brother, and bringeth them up to a high mountain. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter, and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when he had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And they came down from the mountain. Jesus charged them saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen from the dead. Mark records the experience this way. He said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days, Jesus talking, taking with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them to a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he wist not what to say for they were afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly when they looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with them. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them, they should tell no man these things until the Son of Man was risen from the dead. There are two prominent mountains in which God presented Himself to mankind and spoke directly. He spoke to all the children of Israel from Mount Horeb, Sinai, and He speaks now to us through the disciples' word after the resurrection of Christ. He speaks to us through the Mount of Transfiguration. In both of these places he provides the means for man to give testimony concerning God. On Mount Horeb he gave them the law and he provided a means by which man could know God and man could understand God's purpose and plan. All of the ordinances, all of the ceremonies, all of the purifications, all of the offerings, the rituals, presented the divine nature of God and His accompanying work. On the Mount of Transfiguration, He manifested His divine nature and provided a visible example to the nature that man can exhibit when he applies the principles of God's teaching so that he becomes a partner in the manifestation of a divine nature. On the Mount of Transfiguration, He presents that that we can become. And now, through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we as believers can manifest this divine nature. We've seen it in the instruction in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're examining in our study of 2 Peter the mechanics. The principles as they are outlined in verses 5 through 7. In the sphere of faith in the promises of God, we are to develop a morality that will give credibility to our lifestyle. In that sphere of a morality, we are to develop a process of studying the Word of God. In that sphere of studying the Word of God, we are to develop a self-controlled will. In that sphere of a self-controlled will, we are to develop a contentment regardless of our circumstances. In that contentment, we are to develop a consistency of duty to God that is characterized by our pleasing Him. And then we are able to develop a responsive love through which we are enabled to develop a self-sacrificial love. In order to manifest the divine nature, we must make the presentation and then we must implement the mechanics. It's through the development of our faith and the promises of God and the control of the Holy Spirit that we're able to develop a self-controlled will that will enable us then to develop a contentment regardless of our circumstances, which will enable us to develop that consistency of duty to God that is characterized by doing that which is pleasing to Him. That will result then in our developing a responsive brotherly love in which we are able to develop A self-sacrificial love. And in doing these things, we manifest the fact that we're born again children of God. The new nature becomes visible to those around us. So can they tell that we have been (laughs) with Jesus Is there a manifestation that our lives contain a quality that is different than that of the unbeliever? Our actions and our attitudes are to be programmed by the Word of God. And while we must wait until the rapture of the church, when in that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, we are changed, and this corruptible is put off, and this uh, it's, it's replaced with an incorruption, and this mortal is put off and replaced with immortality, then we will be a reflector of that which the disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. But we must be about the business of presenting daily our sacrifice. Not a burnt offering, but rather our bodies as living sacrifices to Him. Adopting these principles, each day being reminded and renewed by them, we'll be able then to let others know that there is a new nature that they too can have in Christ Jesus but it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So our salvation ought not to simply be a fire escape to avoid the pit of hell, but it ought to be as well that we might manifest Christ's likeness to those that are about us by applying His Word to our lives.